SMSs, repeated SMSs from Ollie, and I'm just saying, go away, go away, go away. And eventually, yeah. after the call, I rang him and said, what's going on? He said, oh, we just had uh, had an event. And I said, what event? He said, oh, no, Nomad, which is the name of a bridge between two blockchains, had just been hacked to the tune of 200 million. I went, oh. I said, well, how much of that was ours? I didn't feel like it was brutal being run over by a steamroller. I actually, between you and me, nobody else, <laughs> felt a little bit of relief. I, and But yeah, in terms of the growth though, um, that was, it was quite uh, overwhelming, I think, to have grown that fast. And I, in hindsight, that was actually too fast. Welcome to Startup Journeys Founders Unplugged podcast, the platform where we delve into the unfiltered, authentic tales of the startup world. In today's compelling episode, we sit down with a remarkable individual, Bernie Orenstein. Bernie's journey takes us through the dynamic worlds of finance, cryptocurrency, and the vibrant startup ecosystem. Now, whether you're a new entrepreneur or a seasoned founder, Bernie's unique insights are poised to resonate with you. A true financial enthusiast, Bernie ventured into the crypto space and at one point spearheaded Proxima Capital, an ambitious crypto startup that evolved into a hedge fund. Interestingly, our paths intertwine through the incubator at Macquarie University where our startups were situated. Bernie isn't just an accomplished entrepreneur, he's also a friend and a genuinely exceptional person. As we explore his journey, we'll uncover the rapid growth and the unforeseen cataclysmic event that led to the sudden closure of Proxima Capital, leaving us with invaluable lessons and stories to share. So get ready to embark on Bernie's startup odyssey filled with real stories raw experiences and remarkable resilience. Welcome to the Startup Journey Founders Unplugged podcast. It's fantastic to have you on the show. We have a history. We worked out of the same incubator and you had an amazing startup and I was really envious of you and how Amazingly, you expanded at the time and the team that you had. And um, yeah, we've been good friends as well. So it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate you giving up your valuable time today. Thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, very kind of you to invite me on this uh, on the show. Um, so yeah, it feels a bit unusual to be doing this. I've not done a sort of podcast before. And I, I do reckon you should have called this the Founders Failing Podcast or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because you know my, my my startups have all come and gone, right? This has been a journey for yeah. me, and um, we're doing this podcast at a I guess an unusual time in my life where I actually don't have uh, probably for the first time in twenty five years I don't have a I don't have a startup in front of me uh, right now. So uh, interesting time to get a get a perspective, I suppose. We're going to talk about successes. We're going to talk about failures. Um, people are interested in everything. And, you know, this is not the type of podcast where we just talk about how successful startups are and how much money they make. No, this is about talking about the mistakes we make, the failures we have, what we learn from that. So that'll give other startup founders, particularly new and early stage founders, 
the opportunity to maybe overcome those or have the knowledge um, not to go through the same thing that you or I uh, have been through. I'm really interested for you to take us back to the beginning of your startup journey. And I'd like to know what inspired or motivated you to embark on this path. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, I'm getting on a bit now, 57. Uh, and so I, I did computer science at uni in the mid 80s and then 10 years at BHP doing sort of first wave of AI and VR research in the in the 90s. Um, and in the late 90s, I reached a point uh, where I'd been working for about 10 years and I wanted a way for me to be able to make money for our family, but to do it in such a way that I, it wasn't just an hourly rate type situation. Mm -hmm. So I was always hunting out clever ways to do this. And the first thing I did was, I, you know, I moved into out of BHP into into finance, into trading. So I, I learned the ropes of futures trading with a, a small hedge fund in Sydney uh, and Within a few months, I set it up such that most of my pay was going to be bonus based on the performance of the company. I guess so. That was the sort of the start of the the very start of the, the journey, which then morphed over time. Okay, okay, and, and then eventually you started had your own startup. So, um, how did that transition from what you just like being in in that small firm to having your own startup? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there are a few things that um, happened, some of it by accident, some good luck. In terms of a bit of, I suppose, inspiration there, um, there was this famous trader uh, from the trading world uh, you would have heard of called Jim Simons, and there's uh, a, a book written on Jim Simons called The Man Who Sold the Market, and is a mathematician, American mathematician, um, who left academia uh, after doing some amazing uh, research work um, and started a trading firm, um, and uh, which ultimately grew into a hedge fund. And he had a phenomenal track record of, of generating returns of about 80% per annum for his investors for many years straight and quickly grew, because obviously 80% per annum compounds very, very fast and grew to 10 billion assets under management very, wow. very fast. Um, and all through mathematical modeling and a completely quantitative view of uh, trading the markets. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Jim Simon's work uh, and Renaissance Technologies, his hedge fund, was very much under the radar. It was very hard to find out stuff about him. And these days you can go on YouTube and you can see a few podcasts. He's much older now and he's retired. Yeah. Uh, he focuses on uh, on on. on uh, his charitable work and whatnot, but he was sort of a real inspiration, uh, uh, which led me to think, well, if Jim can do it on a big scale, maybe I can do something on a small scale. And that's what it sort of motivated, motivated me to get into sort of trading type startups, which is what I've been doing over the years. Okay, fantastic. Great story. Um, yeah, so I, I was going to ask you later on, who were your people that inspired you or your mentors? So I guess he would be the the number one by the sound of it. Um, okay, so when you first started, what were the emotions you felt? Um, were there any doubts or fears? Were you excited? You know, what were you feeling around that? Yeah, look, so at that stage, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was quite interesting. It was uh, someone else's idea. Um, 
gentleman of, by the name of um, Philip York, very smart man, unfortunately, sadly deceased now. He had an idea for uh, a uh, well, two startups, one I actually worked with, a trading startup and a fintech startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those early days, um, my involvement was really um, sweat equity uh, with a little bit of capital. Um, and, you know, I was in my 30s. For me, it was just exciting. It was, yeah. I didn't feel like I was really risking a lot at that stage. And that's yeah. because the journey started small. It wasn't my idea. My ideas, I guess, evolved a bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think, um, this is a question, uh, like looking at like talking to other startup founders, do you think it's a certain personality type that gets you? Because, I mean, the journey is really hard, right? So, yeah. look, for me, it's like somebody that, likes to be independent, doesn't particularly like working for other people, um, risk taker, like what, how would you describe yourself and, and what do you, do you think there's a common theme that runs through? Um, yeah, look, you probably just hit the nail on the head in terms of what I would be saying. Um, you know, I probably am on the spectrum, on the risk taking end of the spectrum and, yeah. you know, financial planner studies that I've done have showed me somewhat off the charts, sort of top 2%. Uh, or worst 2% in terms yeah. of risk-taking. But I'd right. say it's also, yeah, it's, um, uh, I guess, a, uh, a little bit of an intolerance for uh, working for a boss. I would say that's a, a key element of it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I think what I said at the beginning, you know, not this des- real desire not to get paid an hourly rate mm. um, because then we're just completely limited by waking hours so what is it that we can do that leverages our time yeah. to actually get a disproportional payoff? So, yeah. so that's, I guess, the financial yeah, yeah. aspect or the motivation. Yeah. And, and just on a quick note, I would say to those that are looking to uh, get into a startup because they want to be their own boss, it has to be a lot more than that because you'll be working a lot more than any employee, that's for sure, and it'll be a lot harder. So, so it has to be more motivation than that. It has to be something you believe in. Um, yeah, yeah, true. You know, it's got to have something that uh, has a real purpose that sort of fires you up uh, beyond just uh, making wads of, wads of cash. And yeah. I would say it's it's got to be fun. You know, to me, yeah. Yeah. to me, every startup I've been involved with, there's been this element of fun. Yeah, this is super exciting and super fun. And as soon as it's not, it's not worth it. Life no, is short. No, no. And, and I think a lot of startup founders, they, they sort of get together a lot and they relate to each other because they are a similar, you know, personality type and we can relate to each other, whereas most people are not real risk takers and, uh, yeah, they they don't understand us, you know. So I, I'd say nobody in my family understands, you know. <laughs> Why do I you understand do you, Paul. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, okay. All, all right. So going back or going now to your latest startup, so just tell us, briefly um, what that it was exactly, a bit about the growth of that. Sure. Yeah. So this um, really started, this is really a crypto startup called Proxima, and it really had its its birth in uh, early 2017 when my son said to me, look, Dad, there's this thing called Ethereum. I want to buy some. And I went, oh, okay. So we, we hopped on a, on a website, Independent yeah. Reserve, and found out how to buy Ethereum and he yeah. bought his Ethereum. And I thought, well, look, I better buy some too. And and as soon as I bought some, I started learning about it and went yeah. completely down the rabbit hole. And then, yeah. you know, a year later, uh, you know, obviously 2017 was the time of the big 
boom and then bust. Yeah. Uh, and then, but if, if we go to just on the other side of the bus cycle in about February 2018, yeah. uh, we were out of the ditched the got out of the crypto market because things went absolutely crazy and the typical mm -hmm. thing you had your taxi drivers talking about crypto yeah. at the end of 2017 and oh, I went, I'm out of here and yeah, you know yeah. a bit of good luck bit of good management but I thought the space is still super interesting and then I, I spotted this opportunity where you could buy um, Bitcoin on an American exchange and sell it for two percent more on an, on an Australian exchange right. and so just through a bit of spreadsheet work and um, what ultimately became two to three minutes work an hour um, uh, for probably 12 hours a day, but just a few minutes an hour, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, myself and my um, partner, uh, now my wife, we mm -hmm. were making $10,000 a week on this wow. little hobby, um, <laughs> manually arbitraging an American exchange and an Australian exchange. And this uh -huh. went on for months, right? Yeah. And But eventually those returns dissipated, dissipated, and eventually mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. became too small. And I went, okay, now's the time for, uh, in order to exploit this, you really needed an algorithm uh, to do mm -hmm. it. So I kind of yeah. shelved it. Uh, but then uh, the year after, um, I, I really wanted to dust off the idea and I put some feelers out uh, into my network, uh, uh, find, trying to find out if someone would like to partner with, with me on actually building a, yeah. a computerized uh, approach to it. Um, and that's when I met uh, Ollie Chalk, my co-founder. Mm -hmm. uh, he came through that little reach out into the network. Yeah. Um, and 35 years my junior uh, and about a foot taller, um, <laughs> he, uh, he and I hit it off immediately. So uh, uh, Ollie uh, uh, hadn't even finished high school, let alone gone to university or anything. But, you know, he's just absolutely one of the smartest people I'd ever met. And we went across to the uni bar and we sat there for five hours eating pizza and drinking beer and, um, <laughs> and, and talking about crypto and uh, we immediately saw that there was an opportunity uh, mm -hmm. we'd be able to do something do something together so that was sort of the origin of it yeah yeah i i i know ollie obviously and yeah it was a really amazing partnership between you you two like you know but not just the height like everything was like opposites like which really was a good combination because you pretty much balanced out you know each other's so qualities so okay so um Okay, so you're going along and everything is going quite nicely and then you're expanding. Tell us about the, like, the funding uh, and, you know, uh, the expansion because I know you expanded yeah. right out of the incubator that we were in to North Sydney in a big office there. But, yeah, tell yeah. us about that and, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the initial – I wasn't overly ambitious for the startup at the time. I just thought, well, look, let's just see what is possible. Mm -hmm. What can we achieve uh, mm -hmm. in terms of automation. And, you know, so uh, Ollie and I uh, at, at the uni bar that, that afternoon and evening, we really had two ideas. One was uh, a crypto mining operation and the, uh, the other was arbitrage. And mm -hmm. um, which we together, uh, within a few weeks, we jumped on a plane to China uh, and we were uh, going around Beijing and Shenzhen and, and looking for uh, crypto mining machines and talking okay. to miners. But, but all the time when we had spare time at dinner and at at the bar, we were mm -hmm. talking about arbitrage, mm. uh, and where and we did actually spin up a crypto mining venture that uh, didn't do great, but it, it, it actually made a bit of money, but more because Bitcoin, Bitcoin went up than any yeah. other reason. Yeah. Okay. But when we got back to um, back to Sydney and back in the incubator, 
um, we would we just went in front of a whiteboard for days on end, um, figuring out how we were actually going to solve this problem of automated arbitrage. Um, <laughs> and then we got to, got to a point where um, uh, Ollie said, "Look, how about I build the MVP?" And he went off, and two weeks later, uh, had a little system that was making hundred dollars a day every day, oh, and wow. uh, that was the little start. Yeah. That MVP was kind of oh, as as soon as we I saw that working, I went okay. There's something here. Yeah. Uh, but even yeah. even then, it wasn't a case of uh, this is going to be a monster organization. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. uh, it was okay. Well, let's throw a bit more capital at this and yeah. see what we can do. And over a period of twelve months or so, um, you know, the the business grew. We got some some team members um, overseas to help yeah. us with the software development. Mm -hmm. Grew and grew, and it reached the point where Ollie actually said, after a year, he said, "Look, this is really an amazing opportunity, but mm -hmm. the timing is now if we're going to really uh, invest and grow." Yeah. Um, and it was really that initiation that said, "Well, okay." Uh, and, and, and Ollie talked about raising a few hundred k. And I said, "Look, if we're going to bother raising capital, let's raise a mill." Um, and right. uh, fortunately, me. Um, being that much older and having had a bit of a network, um, I was able mm -hmm. to reach into my network and you know, we relatively quickly raised that that million dollars, two lots of 500K from um, two high net worth investors, their, their family offices, one in New York and, and one, in, one in Sydney. Yep. Um, and that capital allowed us to then recruit some really strong uh, talent in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I guess, was the start of it. But it, every... Every month, uh, the business kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so we, yeah. with that came growing confidence. Yeah. And so we recruited very fast. And within um, another year or so, I guess we'd grown to about 35 people and uh, exited the incubator and turned our little business into a hedge fund. Uh, and, you know, we raised about 40-odd uh, million US dollars. Wow. Um, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and we and we generated around two to three percent a month for our investors um, over that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, wow. That's a really quick and huge expansion. Uh, it's really just going back to the MVP. So Ollie did that in two weeks. Um, like in, you know, in my startup, my our MVP was supposed to be six weeks, and then it turned into four years. <laughs> so that's a that's a huge mistake, isn't it? That a lot of startups make, oh, let's just build this and let's add this and let's do this. Something just simple, see if it works straight up. So you guys nailed it there. Um, yeah, we yeah. were, I'd say that was one of our strengths was uh, just taking a concept uh, and actually uh, nailing MVPs. And we did that multiple mm. times because mm. ultimately we built a multi-strategy market neutral hedge fund in the crypto space. So every strategy had its own MVP uh, and then ultimately, we built up a portfolio of these different strategies uh, yeah, into them. Yeah. But every time, it was a case of um, Ollie or or the team building out something very quickly, proving whether or not it had legs. If it didn't have legs, throw it away, yeah. go again. That is a great lesson for early new stage or any 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 startup. Yeah, look, I, and I would also say it's not that easy to do. Uh, mm. uh, you know, yeah. I, I would say we were in. Uh, a market where it was conducive to building MVPs, mm -hmm. where, you know, when, when you're talking about algorithms that make money, it, you very quickly prove or disprove whether they work mm -hmm. or not, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have to go and do market research, uh, check on, you know, whether there was a cu customer fit 
all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. We could just build code, throw it at, throw it into the market, and see if it made money. Yes or no. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that's, that's what that's what allowed us to be really quick. Okay. Oh, that's that's awesome. And and Ollie, of course, he is a developer programmer, right? Um, yeah. Look. I mean, he's a little bit of, uh, without putting him on a pedestal, I would say he's a bit of a polymath from the perspective of, uh, you know, without having done computer science or finished his HSC, he's, mm -hmm. you know, one of the strongest developers I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. he also understands, you know, crypto and smart contracts and yeah. blockchain yeah. technology probably yeah. more than anyone ever met as, as well. And basics of economics. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, a very... Uh, very fortunate I was, I think, to have him as a, as a co-founder. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure he was fortunate with all your experience and your knowledge in the finance space as well. So it's yeah. a really good match. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, uh, in, in my startup, neither of us of the two founders were developers and we went down the development path. We didn't like initially think to do that and then it really blew out and, you know, it, I mean, I have some knowledge of it, but it, I think it's a really good match sometimes. I think sometimes the perfect match for a lot of startups is one founder who's a developer, program engineer, whatever, and the other sales and marketing, you know. And unfortunately, we were neither, um, both from education background, film, whatever. But uh, yeah. I think yeah, it was a great match. So so how are you feeling at this time? Like all this expansion and everything going on and you know, how were how you feeling? Look, I mean, I think it was uh... – it was very exciting. At the same mm. time, it was uh, it was very hard work. So although mm. you know, we'd grown to this enormous size and enormous success very quickly, yeah. you know, moved out of the incubator into flash offices in North Sydney, which yeah. in hindsight, flash offices is always a bad sign. That's been a bad experience of mine. When I, when I look at all the startups that have, in my time that have that have blown up for whatever reason it's after the flash offices so maybe that's a lesson forget the flash office type uh anyway what was your question paul um yeah so um what like when all this was going on you know what was your feeling like you're yeah. on top of the world or you know look i mean i would say it was um it was a bit of a buzz to be doing what we were doing i was a uh, but at the same time, it, I, I, it was some concern as to how sustainable this ultimately would be. Mm -hmm. um, and we did have a few wobbles early on in 2022 because our hedge fund did get exposed to a number of small events um, where we lost uh, between 2 and 3% of our capital twice mm -hmm. uh, within a two-month period. Mm -hmm. We quickly made that back. But it, I, I guess the chinks in the armor were beginning to to show okay. at that point. Okay. So yeah, I don't, I don't. Yes, it was exciting, but there was a little bit of little bit of concern in the background. So Bernie, um, I think really when you get to like thirty five people, then it's a whole different type of startup. It's a whole different ball game, though, with that sort of funding and that amount of people. So you know it. Having a small startup with a few founders and maybe a team of like 10 uh, is very different to 35. How did you deal with that and, and what, what differences did you find with that? Well, we were very fortunate that um, as we were growing, we were pretty much instantly profitable. Um, so I would say within when we did the cap raise end of 2020, uh, raised that million, within three months the business was profitable. 
So, which was quite unusual as well. And I think it's also, we were in the right place at the right time, right? We can't claim all all credit uh, at all for that. So, Timing is uh, really important. Timing is really important. But, yeah, in terms of the growth, though, um, that was, it was quite uh, overwhelming, I think, to Mm. have grown that fast. And in hindsight, that was actually too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could afford the people at the time through through the revenue that we were generating. So it was okay from a cash perspective, although it didn't leave a, leave a lot of buffer if things went bad. Mm-hmm. So that was a, probably a bit of a lesson. I think that was too fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say another thing is we we immediately realised that a lot of us were under-skilled in terms of um, – sort of management capability. Um, But what we did is we uh, recruited um, a a friend of mine who is very strong in terms of leadership training, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Richard, and um, he joined us two days a week and his focus was really around leadership training. So um, uh, having one-on-ones with all the team leaders and running workshops uh, and helping us uh, develop the skills so that we can actually handle our team and continue the growth. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, so a lot of startups, they get to some point where they have a lot of growth and then the the founder realizing that, you know, often is the CEO as well and they realize that, you know what, now we need someone with a lot more experience, you know, with larger organisations or bringing different people in different areas. I, I think, yeah, it, if you try and do it all yourself, sometimes it can, you know, it can impact on the startup. It just depends on on your background and skills as well. So you, you have you know, a lot of background in finance, for example. But you, I think you'll know when it gets to a point where you you have that growth and it's like, okay, am I right? I'm am I the right person to deal with this? You've got to answer yourself honestly, um, and if you're not, you've got to get the right person in. You know, a lot of people say startup success is all about hiring the right people. And in fact, there's people that say that that's the only thing. I think it's more than that. I think there's so many more things, like you were saying before, timing, etc. But yeah, so Bernie, so um, so what happens next, so to speak? Yeah, well, I th- we reached the point, um, I guess, once we had two chinks in our armour, so we'd lost uh, two lots of uh, 2 or 3%, and we're looking at uh, this would have been March, April last year. Mm-hmm. Um, our biggest investor, a, a multi-billionaire family office in New York, said, look, you've just lost two amounts of money, we're out. Right. Um, and so they'd invested uh, half a mil into our GP. GP is financial financial terms for uh, our, I guess our holding company, and twenty million uh, US into our fund. Right. Uh, and they pulled their money, and and I was really disappointed with that because mm. they had projected signals. Look, we're in crypto. We want to learn. It seemed like a very collaborative relationship, um, and I gave them that feedback. Um, that uh, you know, we were really disappointed that they mm. that they pulled their money because we thought they were in it for the long haul. Yeah. In hindsight, <laughs> they did the right thing, right. and it goes to show that uh, the family office had sort of accumulated their ten million dollars for for a good reason 
by sniffing out risks when others couldn't see them. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, then there was a big event that impacted hugely yes. your startup. Yes. So if we go then, uh, so from what, April, uh, the following four months, uh, the we continued to make money, albeit on a smaller capital base. Because of the loss of uh, the 20 mil US mm-hmm. in our fund, we had to start um, scaling back. So we started cost reduction because our revenue was impacted by that um, decision of our investor. Yeah. Uh, so we were in cost reduction mode and dropped the team from about 35 to 25 people. And that was hard going. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the good things, no, the leadership, we had a strong leadership team and none of us shied away from making hard decisions. Okay. Um, so it wasn't a case, oh, we'll just kick this down the road a bit and see what happens or whatever. Yeah. So we were good on that side. Okay. But if we go then to August of uh, 2022, August last year, I'm, I'm sitting there at 8 a.m. on uh, at home uh, making a call. Uh, I was on sales, uh, although I never particularly liked sales or ever saw myself mm-hmm. as a salesman. I was yeah. head of sales in the organisation and I was uh, yeah. doing a good job selling our hedge fund to another investor in also another, another investor in New York. And, I, and, I, and I'm getting this, these SMSs, repeated SMSs from Ollie, and I'm just saying, go away, go away, go away. And eventually yeah. after the call, I rang out and said, what's going on? He said, oh, we just had, uh, had an event. And I said, what event? He said, oh, no, Nomad, which is the name of a bridge between two blockchains, had just been hacked to the tune of 200 million. I went, oh. Wow. I said, well, how much of that was ours? And he said, five. I went, oh. 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 So we'd, we'd instantly, and during my phone call, uh, had lost $5 million out of our fund. Wow. And um, that was a bit of a shock to the system. And I went into the office and got the management team to get the leadership team together. And look, within hours, it became apparent that this was a fatal event. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we, 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 we talked about it for a couple of days before we actually acted rather than make, make instantaneous decision. But um, the, the impact on a hedge fund, it ultimately uh, we recovered some of those assets, but the net result was about a 17% loss for our investors. Most of our investors still made money. We were making 2 to 3% a month for a couple of years, right? right? But yeah. Um, yeah. The, the investors that came on most recently uh, lost uh, a bit. Um, 70% is not a huge amount, especially in crypto in terms of yeah. a loss. Yeah. But nevertheless, it was significant, such a significant loss, we decided um, it was going to put us in too much of a precarious decision if we pushed forwards. And so we decided to wind up the wind up the business, return investors' capital, um, and we called a town hall meeting on the Friday. Um, and uh, I ran through a presentation to the to the staff. We were very transparent about what had happened, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we basically made the whole team redundant, including ourselves. Wow! And, uh, and that was the end of uh, end of that that journey. Um, I guess if I could just jump into a basic lesson there, because it's probably going to be your next question anyway. Well, but. well no, actually, it's like a sudden end. So yeah. I want to know what you were going through when yeah. you realised, you know, what happened and what you had to do. I want to know about your emotions. Yeah. Well, it's quite interesting because it was a little bit surreal from this 
huge job that I had made made ourselves or made myself, right? I mean, I was absolutely full tilt. Um, yeah. I remember even the incubator, you were on the phone all day. Oh, so like, all you the were time. just crazy. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And yeah. it was work, work, work. And, and suddenly, in some respects, it was a little bit surreal. But I actually... I didn't feel a huge sense of loss, right? Um, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was brutal being run over by a steamroller. I actually, right. between you and me and nobody else, <laughs> felt a little bit of relief. Interesting. Um, and it was a bit strange. And I think that was because I was just absolutely uh, on the edge, uh, not mm. a breakdown, but it was like mm. on the edge of just having no time. And suddenly, there was this opportunity for time again, right? Yes. And so an opportunity to breathe and to to actually uh, have a break. Um, and so, you know, there was zero regret because this had been an absolutely amazing journey. Um, and so I had, I, I only had, uh, you know, really good memories, good things. Yeah. But at the time, know, it must yeah. have been a shock. Look, it was it was a shock, uh, uh, but I, I never put it in the tragedy basket. Well, that's great, you know? and it, you know the same with me. As you know, you know, like mm. um, had a huge problem with my startup as well, and then when it stopped, I actually felt a big sense of relief, relief as well, because you know you're working so hard, you're doing mm. so much, and you have all this responsibility, and then it's like. They're, you know, it's disappointing, but it yeah. is a relief as well. So I, I can understand what you're saying, but yours was like, you know, really yeah, instant. Then it was form, instant. one day to the next. Um, yeah. Look, and, and I mean, I, I would say it was that week was a pretty tough week. I had a, uh, I got on the phone and I had a phone call with each and every one of our investors, mm. and told them exactly what had happened. Yeah. And uh, the nice thing was that I had no angry investors. There was a little um, bit of disappointment yeah, from the cool. ones that came on m yeah. more recently, yeah. uh, and 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 I guess the smaller investors had more more disappointment than the larger mm. ones. Mm. But uh, a little lesson is, you know, I'd always, when I was on sales, um, talked about risk because the upside always spoke for itself, right? Two percent yeah. a month, whatever, yeah. and I'd only ever talk about risk, or eighty percent yeah. of the time, talk about risk. Um, and so I think the investors really appreciated. It. So. When I rang them up and had this call with them, they went, oh, this is one of the counterparty events that you said could happen and it has happened. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we understand. You know, we took the risk. Yeah. And uh, I was really grateful that um, at the end of all that, I guess my reputation and our reputation mm. uh, came out intact. Yeah, which is was fantastic. And it's really because you prepared them well. You, you, yeah, you told them all the risks, um, and so it wasn't a, a big surprise for them. Obviously, it was a huge disappointment, but you've been up front with them. Obviously, you have a good reputation as well. You, you would have looked after them and probably got the right investors as well. You know, that's important as well. Yep. You don't just go for any investors. You get the right investors that are a good fit, that are good people, have a good reputation as well, you know, like a lot yep. of investors, a lot of uh, founders are like, oh, take any investor. No, take the one that's right for you because that could really screw your business as well. Correct. Um, or become controlling, whatever. Yep. That's a whole whole different area. Yeah, um, yeah. And so you talked about the journey and I think that's important as well because um, if you're not 
in a startup just to make money. You're there because you believe in something and, you know, you enjoy the whole thing and the journey as well. I mean, life is all about the journey, isn't it? Because there's people that become what people would say really successful, really rich or whatever, they're absolutely miserable, depressed or whatever, you know. I'm not saying everyone is like that. Yeah, yeah. But But that's uh, not... That's not going to bring to- you happiness. I totally agree. It's um, you know the destination itself is yeah. uh, is somewhat elusive. You know, and yeah. uh, look, I've seen in our investor base, I've seen you know the millionaires, the ten millionaires, the hundred millionaires, the billionaires, the ten billionaires. They were all <laughs> they were all investors, right? And yeah, mm, yeah they weren't look, necessarily any happier than, yeah. than uh, any of the rest of us, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't take it with you when you leave this place anyway. <laughs> so, so, but you, you take the journey, you know, and the journey is is, is what's important. Bernie, you were saying that you're working um, really long hours and it was pretty full on, pretty stressful. Um, I think it's really important uh, to have a work life balance, and I know it's difficult in a startup, particularly when you're starting as well, mm. but. If you keep going like that, you know, you're going to burn out. Yeah. And so you, you need to really try and, and balance um, your work-life situation and be as productive as you can while you're working on your startup. And if there's things that others can do that can do better and quicker than you, then it's good, you know, that they should be doing that and not to take on too much. Obviously, at the very beginning, you need to take on a lot. But, yeah. you know, that... Work-life balance, mental health is so important um, to keep, you know, reasonable hours, look after your family life, exercise, eat well, all of that is is really a big part of the journey as well and something that some people just neglect and they just, you know, work 16 hours a day. That's not sustainable, don't you think? 100%, yeah. Uh, I'd agree with all of that. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, I made it a considered effort to, uh, you know, do half an hour of health activities each day. Mm -hmm. Generally that was exercise, but if if I needed to go to a doctor's appointment or whatever, that was my half hour of health, but every day do something uh, in that space. Uh, You know, I did my best to build up the leadership teams that as much as possible Mm -hmm. uh, could be someone else's responsibility yeah. Uh, uh, rather than mine, um, I ended up with sales for better or for worse because I think ultimately the, the founders are the best salespeople in an organisation, even if yeah. they don't think so. That's ultimately <laughs> yeah. ultimately yeah. What, what the what the case is. Uh, but yeah, in terms of if if there is only the journey, which I believe it is, only, there is only the journey in life. Yeah. Then making time for things other than work during that journey is imperative. Otherwise, yeah. what's the point, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and it is a really hard journey. Don't, for those yeah. new in it or thinking to do it, it's it's a hard journey. Um, it's really rewarding, but it's a hard journey. Whilst, yeah. whilst Proxima, we closed the fund, um, mm-hmm. during the time when we were doing really well, we actually made two venture capital investments um, in the in the in the company, and so um, those venture capital investments are still still exist. One looks a bit wobbly; the other's looking profitable. And so, wow. it's not necessarily the end of the journey. It's certainly yeah. uh, at the moment it's uh, you know it's just a, a couple hours a month that it, uh, it ticks yeah. along, and we nurture yeah. these other investments that we've got. 
Um, so that part of the journey is actually not closed yet. So we'll we'll see what comes of our VC investments. Interesting. And that leads me into the next question. Do you think that you would do another startup in the future? Um, possibly. Uh, I, you know, after all of this happened, um, I got married in January and, my mo- and I encouraged my wife to quit her job and thank you. Okay. <laughs> and we had six months sabbatical, uh, gap semester. You know, a lot of kids these days will go off and yeah. uh, after school or uni and have a gap semester a year. And I'd really encourage that. And I didn't do that. Uh, uh-huh. My wife didn't do that as kids. Um, and so we did it in our fifties, mid fifties, and it was probably enjoyed more. It was, experience. this is wonderful, um, yeah. you know, just to do Airbnb slowly, slow awesome. travel around Europe was, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, was, was just awesome. Uh, I forgot what I was, I was going on. Uh, we're talking about if you're going to do another startup in the future. Oh yeah. So during that time, um, the plan was during the six months, think about the next thing, right? That was part yeah. of sabbatical. And, and, and a few ideas sort of popped into my head, our heads, and we talked about them, but they weren't ideas that really inspired me to get out of bed. Though ideas, I think that would work, yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, not enough that I would actually uh, be really inspired, mm. spend significant time on them. I, I would say... My conclusion is startups can't be forced. In other words, you can't say, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to do a startup. All right. Okay. Idea come into my head, please. I can go to the startup. Like, I don't think it works that way. It's kind of, uh, I would say it is somewhat um, uh, organic, right? So over time, opportunities present themselves, you know, through the network or ideas will pop into your head and, and, you know, they get, you know, they get evaluated either mm. consciously or unconsciously. And yeah. it's, it's those little germs that, where the startups come from. They just can't yeah. be forced, right? Yeah, so yeah. I would never rule it out. I'd never rule it in. Yeah. Um, but look, it's all I've known for the last 25 years. So probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably. sure you will be back there sometime soon. <laughs> so Bernie, how do you believe your journey has influenced and inspired others whether they're aspiring entrepreneurs or, or your team members? Um, interesting question. Um, I haven't got a clear answer on that. So it's only my perception of what mm-hmm. uh, I think may have uh, influenced others. But I would say that, you know, there are a handful of principles that um, I think flowed through to our team. Um mm-hmm. One, I think, is kindness in the workplace, mm. right? I mean, yeah. life is short and to be, you know, I think Warren Buffett always said, you know, life's too short not to work with people you like, right? Yes. Um, um, and that means a kind environment, right? So people yeah. people yeah. want to work in an environment where there's a sense of nurturing. Not It's not all happy, clappy all the time at all by any means, yeah. right? But, yeah. um, uh, but you, know, you know, kindness and, kindness and respect with mm-hmm. our staff, with our investors, um, yeah. I think is, is a key thing that sort of carries through. Yeah, no, um, I think it's an important part of people's success as well because people want to work in that sort of culture, a nice culture, you know. Yeah. It's more sustainable. Yeah, and I'd say also authenticity and transparency. Mm. Like the, the fact that, um, you know, no investors really complained 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe our staff saw that, that because we were just upfront with them all the time, mm-hmm. but also with our staff, right? I mean, yeah. uh, we were upfront. If we had to let people go, we told them what was going on and, yeah. and, and at the very end when we let everyone, the like team of 25 go, right, mm. um, we just did it kindly and upfront. People are not yeah. silly and you don't want silly people anyway. Right? And so yeah. uh, no BS, right? So yeah. uh, people really respect upfrontness. Yeah, um, in a kind then, way. In a kind way. And, yeah. and then your reputation is left intact, right? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. But if you try and play sort of silly buggers, that's sort of, no good and yeah. No. It's something no, I really definitely. avoided. Yeah, yeah. Hope that yeah. answers the question. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um so if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice or wisdom based on your startup journey, what would that be? Well, to the risk of repeating myself, <laughs> I would say at the end of the day, we're only left with our reputation, right? So um if we do anything dodgy during the life of our startup and that tarnishes our reputation, yeah. uh, that's pretty bad, right? Um, yeah. And so if we're going to do the next startup uh, or uh, do some sort of collaboration, um, it's, 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 a, it's only our reputation that takes us into that next phase of the journey. And let's face it, the world is really small, right? Um, you know, every time I engage with somebody I don't know, I'm, I'm on there on LinkedIn. Who do I know who knows yeah. them? Reach yeah. out to them, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like 100 years ago where every person's a new person. You don't no. know how to check and up we're all on them, six right? degrees from Kevin Bacon, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I would say that's it's a pretty simple right one, right? You know, yeah. so basically yeah. do the right thing. Be yeah. honest, be, be honest, be authentic, be kind, be upfront, leave your reputation intact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great advice, Bernie. Great advice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to finish off, Bernie, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to say or leave with um, the audience? I would say, yeah, being a startup founder is not for everybody and it doesn't need to be everybody and shouldn't be for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, probably don't force it, but if a great idea does come to you, uh, or you know, the potential opportunity to work with co-founders on, on something, yeah. um, absolutely worth giving it a go. I would say it's important to do in a supportive environment. You need the support of your family and friends. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the incubator idea I think is a great one, uh, you know, to actually be in a place uh, where you can actually uh, get some education on yeah. what's involved in building the startup, quite key. Um, but I would say anybody who has a crack at a startup, success or fail or somewhere in between, uh, there's no regrets. There's only, there's only journey life lessons, um, uh, so well worth it. Absolutely. Fantastic ending on that. Great advice. All right, Bernie, really appreciate your time. Um, it's been a fantastic interview. Lots of nuggets of wisdom for new and, and early and even experienced startup founders, I would say. Thanks so much, Bernie. Really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, so much wisdom and uh, so much knowledge and experience and an amazing journey that you've had. I'm really happy and glad that you've shared that with me and with all my listeners. Thanks, Paul, for the invitation. Okay. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks, Bernie.